Okay, let's um, let's get this started. We are starting a brand new book today. We just finished Second uh, Timothy last week, and without further ado, we're going to go right into a new one, and uh, kind of something we had planned for the last year or two, and we hadn't gotten into it yet. We've done this book um, before, but that was uh, quite a few years ago, and probably hardly anybody here would have even been here at the time. But anyway, uh, this uh, new book, it's very practical, very practical, and I think God can abundantly bless us because of His Word in here. Um, I think uh, bless us more than we can even imagine as we study this book. And I think it's just packed full of all sorts of instructions on subjects that can uh, do us all good because it extends to every part of our Christian lives. Uh, I think there are just remarkable passages that uh, deal with endurance, that deal with um, patience, prayer, and humility, and holiness, and restraining the tongue, and then repression of all the lust and, and contempt of all the world, and all the those kind of key topics. And of course, genuine faith is definitely the one that's uh, that one topic that is interwoven all the way through here, because you'll remember there's a famous verse in here everybody has heard, Be ye doers of the Word. And that's the practicality of this. That's what James is doing. He's giving all sorts of tests here of uh, genuine Christian faith. And it's not how to become a Christian, but it's in the living as a Christian, as what we have in James. Our faith must function. You have faith, well then, it also is going to have works. And of course, he presses that all the way through those five chapters. I think two words can say it. Faith works. Um, We're going to go right on into the introduction of this. Uh, My introduction to the introduction is now done, and so (laughs) now we'll do the introduction. But uh, usually when you start a book, it's good to have a good handle on it. Before you start, and then as you go through there, you say, okay, that's what is trying to be accomplished here by James and the Holy Spirit. And as we say, it's it's practical. It's living the Christian life. Here's how you live it. It's true faith. And so true faith is going to show up in a practical, godly living. You're going to be able to endure through some of those trials. Uh, You're going to know... Uh, how to deal with the and and look at the dangers of riches and and also encouragement to the poor and then the law and and love and how they relate faith and and works the coming of the Lord is in here uh, humility but like we say the main focus is biblical faith works and uh, so the contents are going to be arranged under that theme all the way through so he gives us a, a series of tests. And James is kind of a guy who wants to see results. You know, he, he just sticks it out there, boom, and then he goes on to the next one, boom. He doesn't elaborate much on it. He just tells it the way it is. It's simple, and it's profound, and he is marching on. He has five chapters, and he's got to get it in here. There are 108 verses in the book of James. Now, I don't expect you to open those up now. That's homework later. Just test me out. Just you know, check those later today and count the verses. <laughs> You don't have to do that, but about half of them, 54 of them, are imperatives. And just in case you're wondering what imperative is, kind of forgot your English rules, your grammar, um, it's really about commands. Boom. Do this. Do this. Don't do this. You know, he's like a sergeant barking out orders to the troops, and he wants action. And he expects that to happen. So this can be a very challenging book. It should be. It should be challenging to us all as I've been reading through it and uh, reading through the text uh, all this week. You know, as you look at it, it can make you uncomfortable. And you can say, whoa, whoa, what are we taking a book like that that can make me uncomfortable? Why do you do that? Well, um, the Bible does challenge us. It should challenge us, shouldn't it? Because we have not arrived yet. You know, we think, we know it all, we've been there, okay, there it is. But uh, that, we know better than that, though, too. We have not arrived, and uh, we also know that we need to be challenged. And we need to be taking a step each day. And so, anyway, we get into who the author is. And, of course, it starts off with the name James. It has to be James. You're going, okay, what James is that? There are several James in the Bible. 
and even uh, uh, apostles that were named James. Well, it's none of the apostles. Um, and we'll probably get into a little bit more of the depth of that. Uh, but uh, I proclaim that uh, James here is a half-brother of our Lord Jesus. Even though he doesn't tell us here, and we'll, we'll get to, to that, why he doesn't. But um, anyway, he is all about holiness. Uh, the background of this letter, why did he write it? You know, when somebody writes a letter, there's a reason why they write it. Uh, it's just not random sayings, although some people have said that. It's just random sayings. It doesn't make sense, and it just runs all together into different things, and, and so therefore this doesn't seem like it holds context. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth because it definitely holds true to there, and uh, we'll, we'll see how when we put that together, how uh, it's not just random. He, you know, The Holy Spirit is power-packing this together. But the reason that he's writing this, and it's always good to remember, is because of the persecution that was happening to the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians. There's persecution. They had to be scattered all over the place they were. And as they were scattered and the persecution of Christians happened, especially those Jewish people, then we see that it was a difficult time for them. And James has to write to them to encourage them and keep the faith, keep living that faith. And he reminds you of um, the book of Proverbs. He has wisdom just written all over this letter from one wisdom aspect to another. And uh, knowledge is important, but... He wants to put this knowledge into action. Wisdom is taking knowledge and putting it into your life and using it. And so he stresses godly behavior based upon what this truth is. He desires obedience for his readers here. So when you compare him to Paul, down through church history, and especially with somebody like, uh, let's say, Martin Luther, the great reformer and the great respect I have for Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther didn't have a lot of respect for this book of James. And you might find that interesting. He had difficulty thinking that was even part of the canon. And uh, that's just outrageous because it complements Paul. But Paul, uh, Martin Luther really was so much focused upon justification by faith. You're saved by grace. And so salvation was a big part of his message. And he definitely believed in obedience and living that out. But he emphasized grace and justification by faith alone so much that he thought this book was about works. And it is, but it's works because of the salvation. It does not differ from that. And um, we see that while Paul is emphasizing grace, James is emphasizing the fruitfulness of that grace that has been given to us. And because of that, we have the fruit of the Spirit. And we are to demonstrate genuine faith. That's what James wants to see. And he wants to see results. And uh, so that's what we'll be looking at. Why don't we um, grab our Bibles. Let's stand. Let's read our text for this morning. That is basically the introduction. But I've had two introductions. And then when we get into verse 1, we'll get into another introduction again. James 1, 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this book, this letter that James wrote to people who desperately needed to read this, to hear this, to think about it, to put it into their lives. And we are people who are no different. And we have our own trials. And we know that there are some persecutions happening in our own country. And it can increase. We know there are crazy things in the world that is happening way beyond what we can even imagine, even though we are aware. Uh, Yet, we are to live the Christian life as it is put forth to us. May we count it all joy, and may this text speak to each one of us here today. In your Son's name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
I say greetings. <laughs> James said greetings. Uh, first, he introduces who he is. It's good to know who the writer is rather than at the end of the letter, isn't it? As we do with our letters, you know, you can read the whole letter and say, oh, that's who wrote it. Usually what do we do? We go back to the back. Who is this? Who wrote but um, here we, James says who he is. And uh, the word actually, in the um, time it gets to the Greek, is Jacob. Or um, you can think of Jacob. And that's really what his name was. It was Jacob or Jacob. But James in the uh, English derived out of Jacob. And uh, this was a popular name, a common name at that time. And as we well know, there are plenty of James in, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, as we, we think about it. Uh, let's go, and what we're going to do, we're going to say, okay, when we're studying the Bible, uh, let's take certain words. Some we're going to go focus on more than others. The reason we're going to focus on James here just for a few moments, we're going to trace some scriptures on him, because there's quite a bit to know about him, because he appears in the Bible quite frequently. And it's, so it's good to feature on a word and go back and check those verses to support that. And um, this is why I say, all it says here, James, a bondservant, God, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, but I'm saying, and most of your commentators, anybody who's conservative will say, this is Jacob, the half-brother of our Lord. And, and we'll show why we think why. There are people who will differ, but I, I don't think that they're right. Anyway, let's go to John John chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus is doing His ministry. He happens to be uh, in Jerusalem, which He would go there just for certain festivals. Uh, his brothers happen to be in Jerusalem. Now, they've, they've kind of grown up. He's grown up. We know he's uh, past 30 now. And uh, yes, he did have half-brothers. And if I took the time, I could, but I'm not going to do it. I don't think I have to show anybody here that he actually had uh, brothers and sisters, uh, half-brothers and sisters. And uh, so, um, you know, we can look in Mark and, and we can look in uh, Matthew and, and check those. And then we, we look at John chapter 7. And I think at verse 3, we're at the Feast of Booths now. Uh, therefore his brothers said to him, he ran, runs into him there, they haven't been following him around, they, they say, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And um, I think they're in Galilee at this time. Sorry about that. But the Feast of Booze is happening, and he doesn't want to play their little game that they're saying, but they're saying, hey, won't you go there in front of everybody? Uh, you know, you're supposed to be such a great guy and everything. Uh, show this publicly, and let the world see your great miracles. They're making fun of him. They're jesting at him. And these are younger brothers. Can you imagine that? And so... You know, he's not going to play into the hands, but he does go to the feast. He does show up, and he does um, great things. But that's one thing there. Uh, you, you look at verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers were believing in him. That means they weren't Christians. Just as simple as that. They, they, they were not believers. And they mocked him. Here we see that. So it's early on, and so if those are brothers, we can consider it's probably one of those is James, and another one is Jude, who wrote that little letter, Jude. And um, I would tend to think that he was among them there. It doesn't say James, but it does say brothers. They think he's crazy. They think he's really bizarre. And You know, one time his mother showed up and his brothers where he was at a place and uh, they were so concerned about him. I mean, everybody in the area was going after him. And they wanted to talk to him outside and say, hey, you need to cool it down. This is getting just a little bit too radical. Well, Jesus is radical, isn't he? He's very radical. A Christian is to be radical. But here, um, you know, they had lived with him. They grew up with him. Uh, they shared beds. You know, if you have a big family, you're going to have maybe a few in that bed. Maybe, you know, as many as three. But uh, four. Uh, they have an attitude towards this older brother who's perfect. And he was. He never sinned. He never got in trouble. 
Now, I wonder if they tried to blame things on him. And <laughs> parents aren't perfect. You know, maybe they would believe. But can you imagine the intimidation that he would have had on his, his family? He's always perfect. And doesn't that get to you after a while? Everything goes right for somebody. It's, everything is perfect. And when something happens to them a little bit, you go... Boy, I'm glad to see that. Finally, they, they get to be human, you know. They, they never knew what it's like. You know, they never saw him probably ever get spanked, you know. So, um, we see something that turns up in the book of Acts as we go just along through the New Testament here. Uh, not necessarily all chronological, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus died, Jesus arose. And then he was going to rise again. And you have a lot of people, uh, 120 of them meeting in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Because Jesus had told them, hey, wait, uh, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, but not until... Holy Spirit comes. It says in verse 14, chapter 1, these all with... uh, Oh, wait. I need to back up. I need to go to verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room, Jerusalem, where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James... These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers. Brothers. He did have brothers. The Roman church says no, He never had any brothers and sisters because Mary was a perpetual virgin. But in Matthew chapter 1, it says she was a virgin until after she had Jesus. What's that mean? It definitely implies the fact that she was not a virgin after she had Jesus. And then you take verses like this and you see that Jesus has brothers. So what do they do with that? Well, then they have to start apologizing in the sense of, oh, no, no. The brothers there means we're all brothers. We're brothers and sisters, see? But the word is specifically used when you will see this and whenever the names are mentioned, we will see that that actually means brother. It, there's another word that, for, that are for cousins, and that's what they'll say. Well, see, that means cousins, because it doesn't fit with their perpetual Virgin Mary, because their whole story of the Virgin Mary is one of the big foundation pillars of their faith. Because she was born without, she was born without sin. She sinned not, and they would count this being with the human race. Do you see, she was sinless, as they teach. But the Scripture says, no, everyone is a sinner. She even confessed in her Magnificat that she wrote in Luke. So, a lot of problems that the Roman church has to dance around with when you have brothers and sisters. They have to do that because of where they put Mary. And by the way, Mary is deity. She is the co-mediatrix. Matter of fact, she's over little baby Jesus. Usually you will see a statue of Mary holding a little baby. She is deity also. And so that's where they hold her. We cannot um, give in and uh, say we believe in those kind of things, can we? Anyway, uh, we've seen now James and his brothers in the upper room. What happened? What happened to James? What was he before? He was an unbeliever. Jew. an unbeliever. Whoever else was there. So we turn to 1 Corinthians and we get a little more proof. As we sometimes have to use uh, concordances and other helps to say, uh, you know, Scripture reference books and maybe your little columns uh, that are in your Bible or the notes down at the bottom and you can get more verses to go to to uh, maybe grasp a little bit more. So that's what we're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is dealing with the resurrection, we get James mentioned again. He appeared, we, we know he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. He appeared to more than 500, it says, uh, in verse 6. And... Um, 
most of whom were still alive. And so that, you know, they could go around asking almost 500 people at that time who were still living, did he really arise from the dead? Well, of course I was there. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I can't really believe that. And then you go to another one and another. If you had 500 witnesses, I mean, I think that's enough in court. It's two witnesses or three. Uh, so we, our, our resurrection is is. That's everything we're trusting in. That is our evidence. Verse 7, Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, that was Paul, the resurrected Christ. He knew He had died. He saw Him resurrected. What more did He need? And now everything came together and all the miracles that he spoke and all the prophecies that he had said and everything that he had kind of heard about. James, uh, he put two and two together and with the Holy Spirit who enlivens you, awakens you to uh, truth. Uh, there he is after the resurrection. It wasn't that long, was it? The resurrection, he, he, he appeared to him as he had appeared to, you know, of course, Paul and what happens there. Uh, if you look in Acts chapter 12, well, what happened to James? What happened to him as time went on? It doesn't stop there, does it? We look in Acts chapter 12, and you have Peter put in prison. And in... Verse 17, Peter comes to the door where the church is meeting. You remember that? And they're praying for Peter because he's in prison. They get the prayer answered. He's knocking at the door and uh, the servant girl opens the door, sees him, and shuts the door real quick. And And she's says, you know, wow, you know, what would you do? Uh, so, you know, he kept knocking and, and of course, uh, that, that turns out to be Peter. Uh, they just got their prayer answered really quickly. And uh, it says in verse 17, Peter's motioning to them with his hand, be silent. Shh, shh. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. So he just kind of, the angel came by and just opened the door, let him get out. And he just walked on out. So, hey, hey, be quiet. You know, don't let everybody know. But uh, tell this to James and and the other brothers. Okay, James must be something at this time. Uh, maybe he's a head of the church at that time, huh? Uh, anyway, I think he's the, the focal point of it. Matter of fact, he becomes what I would call the senior pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. If you look in Acts chapter 15, there's a council. Paul has been preaching grace. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the glory of God alone, through the Scripture alone. Um, it's Jesus Christ alone. And that presented a stir amongst the Jewish Christians because you're saying you can go to the Gentiles and they're saved by grace alone. Well, there must be certain things like circumcision that they must be due. Well, that calls for a church council. The first one ever done with the church. They all come together. They get the scripture. They get the apostles and Paul and Peter. And they get to the truth of the matter that no, they don't have to do the circumcision. That was just a sign. Eventually, you're going to have the sign. Christ has fulfilled that, you know. So, um, that's the issue. And we see James there. And in verse 13, you have all of them speaking. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. 
With this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. And then he, he uses some Old Testament to prove what they have just said and they have just proved. And he goes to the Scripture to, to show that, hey, listen, it's not legalism. Christianity is not that. James recognizes that. He knows that. And he knows about grace. And he says some things that here are the only things that we prescribe for the Gentiles to do, but that we'd write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication. I mean, they should already know that anyway. And from what is strangled and from blood. And of course, the pagans, the Gentiles, that was their customs and their ways. We'll make sure that they're not doing those things. That's all we say, but there's not a a legalistic aspect involved here. And so that's what um, uh, James does. He avoids the legalism along with the other apostles. And uh, so we get a little bit more on him. Uh, Why don't we just go a little further and spend a little time on him because if we're going to be spending the next... Oh, two or three weeks to finish the book of James, or the next uh, two or three months, two or three years. Galatians 1, verse 19. Paul is speaking to the Galatians here, and uh, he says, I went up to Jerusalem, I, I became acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, I stayed with him 15 days. I didn't see any of the other apostles. Oh, I, I did see James. The Lord's brother. Now, there we go. I did see James, the Lord's brother. I, I was with Peter. I, I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody else that I saw. I did see James. Uh, by the way, he's the Lord's brother. Uh, and then, by the way, he says, Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. <laughs> this is the truth I'm telling you here. Um, so he, he says that. I think that's rather convincing, isn't it? And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he um says, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So what Paul was doing as he defended the gospel and he was preaching grace all over the place, uh, James and Cephas and John, this is John and his brother James, actually was... Uh, martyred in Acts 12. Herod took off his head or whatever, right? Um, so that uh, James the Apostle is already gone. And in, in 119, James the Lord's brother, and then he uh, comes back, reiterates that, and he says, James, and that's actually the Lord's brother, and Peter and John, the, the two apostles, they're the, what are they there at the church? The pillars. It's like, they are that foundation that holds it up there. You know, the apostles were the ones who got revelation from God as they later wrote. Um, so, that I think will probably help us to know a little bit more about James as we looked at other verses. Uh, do you want you to know his sentences are very short, they're very compact, they're very direct. Prophetic in tone, authoritative. Remember, he's he's the pastor at the church there, and and yet as he's writing to Jewish Christians everywhere, he's like he's still a pastor to them. He's different than Paul, and that Paul brings up an issue, and Paul has to explore. In a sense, he goes down into the rock bottom depths to get deep rooted truths principles that we all need. I mean, and he is very doctrinal. You know, he goes to the widest range and you think of the book of Romans or you think of the book of Ephesians and then other ones, of course. Those are uh, foundational uh, passages and deepest depths that we can think of. But James is not that way. He is very direct, very powerful, doesn't spend much time at all on a word or um, a particular principle or truth. He moves on. He just blasts the target. Boom, that's it. And he starts shooting at another target. Boom. You know, he's moving right on through rapidly. And like we say, there are like over 50 imperatives, uh, verbs here that he just commands all the way through this epistle. Okay, now we get to move on. Go to back to the book of James. 
as we have searched out. There were uh, there are a lot of passages dealing with him, aren't there? So it's good to know that. that that's that's what you do when you investigate things. So we're investigators. We are. We're investigators. As we look at God's word, this is what you do. You ask, you know, okay, who wrote it? Well, what about him? Well, you know, and we finished Second uh, Timothy. We finished with guys we never even heard of outside of in Second Timothy, and they're nowhere else. And it's like, well, what about those guys? Well, I'm not sure. Could be this, could be that. Now we look at James, and we have a pretty good handle on who he is. And he, and he, you know, he could have said this: James, the half brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. You would have thought he would have said that, and that would have made it very direct, and we, there would be no discussion, okay, that's the guy who's the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he doesn't say it. And he said, well, that would have been helpful. Why didn't he say that? Well, there uh, are reasons. He calls himself a bondservant. He's a bondservant. In other words, he's a doulos. You say, oh, he's a servant. No, he's actually a Slave. John MacArthur has that book. It's black. I think it has white letters on it. And it's one word. Slave. (laughs) That's who we are. We are slaves. Man, that sounds drastically bad because you... You know, nobody wants to be a slave when you hear that. And, And, you know, really, what does it mean? Oh, at that time it meant to be totally under the control of your master. That's what a slave is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a slave. Paul, sometimes an apostle of Lord Jesus Christ, that's like in Galatians where he establishes authority. Other times you'll see, and most of the time, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, right? That's what you see. So he calls himself a slave. Absolute obedience and loyalty to the master. We have a master. If you're not a Christian, you don't want anybody over. You don't want any slaves. You don't want any. Or you don't want to be called a slave. You don't want a master. You don't want a boss over you, breathing down your neck. Oh, James could have easily pulled rank here. James, the son of the Virgin Mary, brother of James, and the brother of Jude. Jude could have called, said, done the same thing. They both open their letters by calling themselves doulos, bondservant. So he's not the Lord's brother. You know what I, I think that tells us? What do you say? Humility. humility. That is the word. And James really is going to stress humility in the book of James. And I think that's rather fascinating. He knew that being related to Jesus in the physical sense really didn't mean anything eternally. He's no different than any other Christian because he has a relationship with Christ. It's an eternal relationship. Our relationships that we have here are important. Don't get me wrong. But the fact of the matter is is that just because we happen to be in a family that's Christian or goes to church, that still doesn't make one a Christian. Right? We all have to go in one at a time through that turnstile. Right? And so James much would rather say that he is a bondservant of Christ rather than, hey, I just happen to be the half-brother. You know, and boy, that can bring on, on the pride issue, but the, he had really nothing to brag about other than the grace of, of Christ, right? And so uh, really related to him, he was, but it was by the new birth that gave him eternity. And then he says, bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. By mentioning God and Jesus Christ on equal terms, it stresses the deity. There we go. That means Jesus is God. Especially the way that it's worded and put in there, and there are other passages where you see those two related. Wherein there's the there's a Greek rule called the Granville Sharp rule, and puts those together, and you can't separate it. So it says, "And Jesus Christ." It means well, with God the Father. It means He's also God too. The rule always works that way, uh, and so. But right here, I think he's that's what he's doing. He's affirming the deity of Christ. He's uh, 
He's a doulos of them. Now, still on the first verse, here's who the recipients are. Here are the readers. So we've learned something about James. We've learned something about what he is, what he does for a living. He serves God. He's, he's a slave of God. And he's writing to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Twelve tribes here. That would be of those tribes of coming from Israel from the physical aspect, the descent of that. Although this gets to all the Christians who are Gentiles too. And of course here we are reading today. But he was concerned about the Jewish brethren. Because you're Jewish, you get... Yeah, yeah. Because you're you're Jewish, you're actually going to have your own your own trials now at this time. And then if you happen to be a Christian, that just makes it that much worse. And uh, so he is concerned, and he says these are the tribes who are dispersed or diaspora. And you've heard of the word spore or seed, and it's like seed that had been scattered out, and. That seed was scattered all over the known world. And he said, well, how terrible. Well, that was a good thing. How did they get scattered? Persecution. And if you remember Stephen, who was martyred, and he preached a great message, as soon as that happened, we saw a man got killed for just talking about one who had been raised from the dead. He got killed. That too could happen to any other Jewish people who claim Christ. So they had to move on. And um, I think if you went into Acts 8 1, just for a moment, get a glimpse of what was going on, we know that Paul was persecuting Christians at that time. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution, look at this, a great persecution on that day, began against the church in Jerusalem. Very early in the days of the church. And they were all, look at this, there's that word, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were scattered on that day. Well, you move ahead, you look in chapter 11, verse 9, 19, 11-19. So then those who were scattered, remember that way back in Acts 8, now we're here in 11, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, look at this, it tells where they went, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So there you go. That's the Jews who were scattered. We see some places. You know, James had to have written to people at Phoenicia, at Cyprus, at Antioch. Maybe some of the letters are being spread out as the uh, early epistles were. Um anti-Semitism in the Roman Empire. It uh, definitely had taken hold. They were still worshiping even in synagogues as they assembled together, uh, those 12 tribes. And so what happened to those 12 tribes? You go back into the Old Testament and you have King David, right? That's about 1000 B.C. Let's go forward a little bit. You have Solomon. And then after Solomon, the next king... uh, you're going to have a series of kings because one takes off with the ten tribes of Israel. They go north. They set up their little temple and they worship their God and their idols. Then you have the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And the ten tribes get the prophecies that Assyria is going to come and uh, scatter them destroy them, kill them, and scatter them. Well, they were. That's what happened. They were warned, and they were warned, they were warned. They had their own prophets. They didn't abide, didn't obey, and uh, they worshipped their idols. God just scattered them all over the place. Uh, Some of them scattered right on back to the two tribes. 
and they wanted to join back in where it always had been at. Now, you've got the two tribes and they're warned by God too and they're warned and they're warned and they're warned by the prophets and that's why you get in the prophets section it just seems one message after another and it seems like the same thing. And God keeps warning them and there comes Babylon, the next great empire and they deport many Jews back to Babylon but they wind up coming back to their area. Amongst those people are some of the ten tribes that had come down. So, the twelve tribes were intact. Uh, we know that God now has every nation, tribe, and tongue. You know, tribes from all over the world. But in this sense, He's talking literally that, that twelve tribes is that He's writing to. So well, we take that uh, that in, and they were facing conflicts within. They were facing conflicts from without. Uh, they had orthodox beliefs, uh, but they were practicing some selfish, ungodly lifestyles, as James writes to them. And uh, so he definitely has a concern for these readers, doesn't he? He knows what's going on. He hears about it. And so we get into now what the, uh, the really the body of the letter is about. We've seen the writer. We've seen the readers. We are the readers now. And we go into verse 2. And he says, consider. And we're going to take three words here as we briefly finish up 2, 3, and 4 here. One of them is consider in verse 2. Also, another word is in verse uh, 3. Knowing. So consider. Know. And then in verse 4, and let endurance have its present result, or we'll say submit. So consider, know, really know this, and submit to it. And that's what James is presenting here, right off the bat, as he goes quickly through this introduction. So his introduction was a lot quicker than my, what, uh, 40-minute introduction? Okay. Sometimes used to I'd take a whole week to do an introduction and I'd come back in and do the body, but I thought, hey, let's get into it. Let's go for it. That's what James does. Boom, boom. You know, let's go for it. Verse two, consider. Now we may hesitate to call James here. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily call him Professor Wacko. Uh, he sounds like this is strange. Consider it joy when you encounter many, many kinds of different trials. When you first read that and. Especially if one was a brand new Christian, saying, "What? What am I getting myself into? What are you talking about?" Now we, we might question, you know, a little bit. Uh, you know, his advice is so practical; it's realistic, and he, he's talking about terrible trials here. Verse two, <laughs> you know, he's just started. You know, you know, yeah, there's little irritations. I can still have joy through that. There's, you know, there's little things that we go through every day. You know, life has its little things. Hey, those those are part of it, you know. But sometimes there's some huge trials that we go through, will go through. And don't write off James as some kind of a masochist here. Just loving. Hey, bring it on. This is what I live for. Come on, bring them. Bring them, Lord. You know, I'm ready for the trials. Give me some tribulations. And anybody that does that, we need to really sit down with it. Maybe take them somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, there, there are a couple other New Testament writers, and there's actually more than two, but one of them is, is Peter. And, and in First um, Peter 4.13, I, I think that uh, he knew what it was like. He definitely knew. Well, we know he lost his life. He was crucified upside down later on. But he wrote this. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Hey, I, I like that part. <laughs> that kind of keeps things in perspective. The, uh, look at verse 12. You've got to read this. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. You like those two words? The fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. Uh, Peter, you sound a lot like James, as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
It's not a strange thing when we go through these things. That's what Peter's saying. Um, well, Apostle Paul wrote this, and there are many passages. We're not going to take the time to look them all up. But in the book of Romans, chapter 5, this clearly sticks out of me as he has talked about justification by faith and he has declared all that great doctrine. He comes and says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, there's that great doctrine, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Man, we are surrounded by grace. We're swimming in it. We're standing in it. It's just all over everywhere. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? Let's finish chapter 5. Let's move into chapter 6. No, he says this. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We, we glory in our tribulations. Hey, Paul, why didn't you just finish at verse 2? knowing and he uses that knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance you know what James is headed the same way he's saying the same thing as Paul says and so many people say well Paul and James are so different there's no way that James letter could have ever been in the canon (laughs) he's saying the same thing knowing tribulation brings about perseverance perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because a love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit has given to us wow Paul that's a mouthful then he starts talking about when we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, okay. That's going further than we meant to, but that's really good stuff. Why don't we just go into Romans for a while? Too? Phew. Um, remember when Paul wrote Philippians? Where was Paul at? Always oh, in prison. And that letter is about joy in Christ. And he had, he's like handcuffed to the guard. He's sitting by him. Well, Paul had people come to him and he even had uh, the whole guard. He had people from the palace come and visit him as he's tied to the guard. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the gospel is going out and then there are some bad teachers taking that gospel out and he says, nevertheless, God be glorified. You know, he could be out there doing that. But there are some guys that are doing it and they're not doing it with the right motives. But Paul practiced what he preached. Rejoice always. Him and Silas are in Philippi and jail and it's midnight and the bonds that they have on them, the, the, the stocks, they're singing praise to God and they've just been whooped badly, severely. And their back is just ripped apart and they're singing praises. So if we write off James, we have to write off Peter and Paul also. And so our alternative here is what James says, consider Consider what seems to be such a ridiculous statement and consider this. This is the way of God. This is what He has designed. Consider joy. I like that. I like joy. I like to talk about joy. Uh, Notice I didn't put persecution or suffering in the title. (laughs) Consider it all joy. That I could have put, that, and that would have been just fine. Uh, consider means to count. It means to think. It means to really regard something. Okay, I have the facts here. I have the facts. My feelings are like this. Man, I hate this. I can't go through another time of this. Consider, consider. Okay, what, ultimately, God really ha- is a part of this. Consider this. And consider the joy that you can take through this. Ah. It's not subjective feelings. Consider here is objective truth. It's based on facts. And I know of a few people here that will remember a show called Dragnet. 
That's it. And and one of the stars of that show, as as I say facts, he said the line what? Just the facts, man. Ooh, we got it. We are showing our age. And to other ones that are out there, you're you're kind of smiling. Going, oh, what are they talking about? It was not a bad show. I imagine if we looked at it these days, we would go, uh, well, you know, the. You got raised up on it, didn't you? And that's right. And today, you can probably still see that through some kind of of way. You know, this is a good show. CW, there we go. That's what I was trying to think of. CW. There are uh, some episodes that actually have scripture in them, and they they talk about the Bible. In Dragnet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They were were pretty cool. That's what we're talking about right there. As in the 60s, there was some legitimacy happening, and all the things that are happening. <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. And they might be going on and going off to rabbit, rabbit trails, and, and his name's Jack, right? Just the facts, ma'am. And that's what this is dealing with. Consider. Okay, take the facts that you know, okay, and they, that word is coming up next. Consider it all joy, okay? It's, and and he says, and catch this, look at your Bible and see if it says the same thing mine says. Consider all joy, my brethren, don't you like the way he dresses the people there? He's not saying, hey, you ugly saints, hey, listen to this. My, my brethren, you know, in a loving way. And what's the next word? When. Not if. Hey, if you encounter various trials, you may not. If you do, but... No, he's saying when you encounter various trials. I think the statement is saying something something there. Um, you know, emotions are... They're in, inevitable. And severe trials can come along, and, but we need to think about the trial in a biblical perspective. It's a joy of hope in God, knowing that His promises are always there. So, remember in 1 Peter 4.12, that's the very next book, we read that and it says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Why are you surprised? Which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing was happening to you. Right? Um, he says, accept the trials as you encounter them. As expected. Expect them. They're not a surprise. Not if, but when you encounter and and the word uh, for uh, when is hatan. It, it's not just talking about a possibility, but it's inevitable. You can't escape it. And James doesn't say if. It's a required course in this school of faith. As Nondor takes required courses. There, there are certain courses that are required. You can take them whenever you want. You can choose what you want. But there are certain ones that eventually, to get your degree, you're going to have to have this course. Well, that's what happens with this. And I think many Christians think this, and I have thought it. Matter of fact, I can still think it sometimes. If I obey the Lord, then He'll spare me from any kind of trials that can come my way. What's that? He'll give you more. <laughs> Something different than we cannot imagine. Yeah, he will give you more. And you know what? We are saved by grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn his favor. And at the same time, yes, we are to be obedient, but there's nothing that we do in this life that he will love us more. By the way, that's that's a good sense in that He loves you with His most love at all times. Even when we disappoint Him and disobey Him, yeah, He does. It doesn't go up and down, ebb and flow like our love does. It's always at its peak. It's eternal love. I can't fathom that. I really can't. But I know it's true. I'm so thankful. But um, why... Why does He give us trials if He loves us then? Because He wants to make us stronger, right? That's what He's going to be saying here. All of God's saints encounter trials. And um, when you have trials, they could be because of some disobedience you have. Because you will be disciplined. 
But a lot of times you can have trials and it's saying, wonder what I did. Oh, I wish I, wish I knew there's something that I've done. And it may not be related to anything that you have done. Matter of fact, you might be walking in the Lord and just going right along with Him and boom, you know, there we go. God uses these things to test our faith. He's testing us. And, and He says that they are various trials, uh, multifaceted. You know, the colors of the rainbow? And I see some, a lot of colors going on back there with that young girl there. See that? A lot of colors in that blanket. Like the coat of many colors. And, and that's the kind of trials you get. You get one trial and the next time it may not be anything like that. And it might be heavier. It might be lighter. It might come from a different angle. And that's what God does. He brings on... Because you might have already passed the test in another thing. And you don't need to go through that test again. You've already been there. You went through it. God got you through it. And uh, sometimes we just can't understand the particular trials that he sends, but they're multifaceted. The word for trials there is parasmos, and it means to test, to prove. Um, This is a radical attitude. This is radical for a message, even though uh, if you turn on bot radio or if you turn on RefNet or some of your favorite uh, pastors who are Reformed and preach uh, expository they can't help it but somewhere come along the lines of this if if I didn't do expository I would probably stay away from the suffering thing because it's not what you guys want to hear and what I really want to read about and hear and yet I see that this is one of the most important things we need to consider because it is part of our lives and it can be little things that we go through every day you don't even have a perfect day not even a 24 hour, a 16 hour day. 16, you know, that's not even perfect. It's going to be something that goes wrong, you know, a hammer goes on the thumb or something. Even, even that's part of it. I mean, how are you going to react to that? Uh, but I, I don't want to erase away our emotions either, so I've got to bring the balance back. Jesus did not condemn Mary for weeping because her brother Lazarus died. As a matter of fact, who else wept? The shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. He wept. Yes, yes, He did. He faced the cross. He had loud crying and tears, Hebrews 5, 7 says. Paul instructs us, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans twelve fifteen. So, we, we have a balance. We always want to have a balance. So I could go so far with this and just rejoice and just laugh about it and have some fun. You know, I mean, it's not always a fun thing to be laughing at. And, we need, and people say, hey, listen, we need to really blast them because they're having a trial and we need to rip into them, you know. And no, we need, maybe we need to uh, maybe let them go through it but maybe encourage them or sometimes let the Lord do His thing. Sometimes we can go the other extreme and try to help God out when the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I need to test this guy. Some of our own things that we have to go through, right? But um, So, you know, we, we bring in the emotionals there too because that is part of our life too. But it, it's not natural. It's not natural to enjoy this or rejoice in it. I mean, I think that's the word to say. Underneath all the grief and the tears that we go through, there is a sure confidence that God is in control. Isn't He? We know that. We have no doubts. We might have a downpour on it, but we what we do is make a deliberate choice. I'm going to trust in God and His promises. Either I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do it. It's like having a, a rain jacket. And you wear it and you're hoping, okay, now it looks like it's going to rain, it's cloudy, I'm going to test this thing out. It doesn't rain. Well, it hasn't been tested yet. But then when the rain comes down, the downpour there, if it keeps you dry, it passed the test. If it doesn't keep you dry, then we've got a problem with this, right? Uh, but if it, if it gets us through, we can say, that's a good jacket. It's, 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 it's done what it was supposed to do. Uh, it's easy to say, I trust in God, but then when those times come, are we going to trust Him there and His promises, or are we not? And are we going to worry as we go through there? Um, so that's considered. Verse 3 says, Knowing, we really need to know why things happen. It's because God is sovereign. And He is doing what? 
as he's absolutely sovereign, he is fulfilling his purpose. And he has another word here by knowing that the testing of your faith, there's the word testing. When you have trials, parasmos, testing here is in order to prove genuine. It's dokimos there. Two words that are different, but yet they're very close to the same thing. Dealing with showing, you test it to prove it. That's the reason why you do it. You know, you test so that is proven. Endure is a key word here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that it produces this, that you can persevere, that you will stand fast. You know this. The verse implies that God is using the trials for His purpose. He's not sitting in heaven saying, Oh man, I did not know that was going to happen to Dennis. What am I going to do? And now I'm going to have to change my plan. Now, God knows it's going to happen. He's there. He's a part of it. And, uh, you know, these are not random, seemingly random events. They're designed. You look in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. There he's talking about, you know, the lots of, uh, that would be used. Uh, uh, the events of nations. Look in, in Psalm 22, 28. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that I'm going to be able to finish, guys. We have a song to sing and Lord's Supper here. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He... Um, Delights in him. I'm sorry. That's verse 28. 28. That's what I wrote. Let's go to the right verse. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. And the King is in His hands. You know, and uh, the the channels there. He uh, He fashions our heart, as it says in Psalm 33. He orders our steps in Proverbs 37 or Psalm 37:23, Proverbs 16:9. You want to see a lot about the sovereignty of God? Look in the Proverbs. It'll blow you away. I've got verses there. He fashions our hearts. He's designing these things. I mean, I, these are the verses I really wanted to go over. But it's a homework for you if you don't have anything. Say, I don't know what to read today. And later on, just read those verses right there um, that are in that section dealing with knowing that God is sovereign over all things, even trials. Yes, even that. Know that God tests us to produce endurance. Uh, endurance is to persevere. Um, it, it, we, you can be patient. You have patience with people. And then you have persevere, which is right here, and that's persevering through circumstances, going through the things. You know, an athlete pushes himself. You have a muscle. You have muscles. And you need to build those muscles up. And you start with a little, and then you move on, and then you move up, and you move further. And if you don't have those muscles, you can't, when it comes to game time, you'll not be able to perform. You play one play and boom, you're out. Got to do that, right? So endure trials by faith. Uh, This is glory to our Lord Jesus. And there's a reason for it. He wants us to mature. And so the next word is submit. Submit to His authority. Let endurance have its perfect result. Just do it. You know, don't be going back at God and saying, God, what are you doing to me? Why Why is this happening to me? And it happened to other people. Why is this? It, it's a, it really implies submission to God in the trial. It's your attitude towards God. Um, sometimes we can take matters into our own hands and try to do it on our own, you know, if we're not submitting to Him. The word there, perfect, is teleos. Let endurance have its perfect result. To bring to its completion. Jesus on the cross said, basically, teleos. It is finished. Bring it to its completion. Uh, I think a model of uh, this was Job as he endured through all those trials that he had. And what did he say? The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? And complete there so that you may be or perfect so that you may be perfect or perfect and complete. 
Maturity. Mature. To be mature. We want to be mature Christians. God's goal in this trial is that you be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. That's why He sends them. Because He's making us better. He's making us into the image of Jesus Christ. To be spiritually mature. To be well equipped for the purpose that God created us. To be filled with the Spirit. To have the fruit of the Spirit that be evident in our daily lives. By the way, in which we meet every experience in life, we're either fitting or unfitting ourselves for the task which God has us to do. And so we want to be fitting to what He has planned. And that's why He says, let endurance have its result, brothers. Let it, let it work in you. As He works in you, you work it out, right? And that's what James starts off with. Wow. Powerful stuff. It's good stuff. He wants us to be mature. That's why life has its own little things from small to medium to large. You'll get them all. But all at the same time, you're looking at the glory of the Lord and what it's doing. At the same time, you're rejoicing in this because He gives you the strength to enjoy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this.